You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Verse 1 to 16, and that's on page 1088 of your Bibles. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are the called, loved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace and love be multiplied to you. Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. For some people who are designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. Now I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved the people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, these people, relying on their dreams, defile their flesh, reject authority, and slander glorious ones. Yet when Michael the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme anything they do not understand, and what they do understand by instinct, like irrational animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have plunged into Balaam's error for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. These people are dangerous reefs at your love feasts, as they eat with you without reverence. They are shepherds who look only after themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead, and uprooted. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, Look, The Lord comes with tens of thousands of these holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. These people are discontented grumblers living according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. This is the word of the Lord. In front of you, we're just going to work through those first 16 verses if God gives us the time. Let me just lay out for you the the land um, between now and the end of the year, God willing, when it comes to our preaching schedule. Uh, So as I said, today and next week we'll cover the, the little letter of Jude. And, um, and then two weeks after that, the following two weeks, we're going to have two former Baptist pastors preaching for us, Simon Beasy, friend of Red Door, and our very own Douglas Carr. 
So this is the first time in like 10 years that Doug, who is a pastor and gifted in teaching the Word of God, is going to actually preach for us. I really, like I, we had an arm wrestle and I slaughtered him. So, <laughs> nah, he, he, he would definitely beat me. But he's going to be here uh, preaching for us, yeah, in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, after that, we're going to do this seven-week series looking at some major... Uh, issues of the day, uh, issues facing Christians, issues on which I think we ought to have a biblical understanding. So things like same-sex attraction, environment, refugees, indigenous reconciliation, racial justice, uh, the list goes on. I'm still kind of filling them out. A lot of them are going to be um, people who have far more idea what they're talking about than me coming and sharing with us from the scriptures. So That'll be uh, really important, I think, for us and, and a blessing for us um, as God's people here at Red Door. And then that'll deliver us into the last week of November, which is the first week of Advent, and we'll run four weeks up to Christmas. All right? That's where we're going. God willing, He can change any of it if He wants to. But that's, that's the plan I have in mind. Now, back to Jude. Uh, as I said, we're going to work through these first. 16 verses if God gives us the time and uh, you might have noticed this morning that we've landed today on an um, infamous date in history. It is September the 11th, it's 21 years, oh, 21 years since those terrorist attacks on the US of A and um, I know that for some of us these are kind of... Um, uh, aren't at the forefront of our mind because perhaps we weren't born, perhaps we were too young to remember them, but I would say for most of us, um, you will have very, um, very clear memories of that day 21 years ago. I had just returned from New York City myself, actually, just in the days before that happened, and so I found it very, very surreal to look at the TV. I was up because I was still... Um, jet-lagged from living over there in the U.S. for about a year and uh, so up late and watching live these pictures on TV that I could hardly kind of, my brain couldn't, couldn't make sense of them, um, that this was really happening. And if you're of a reasonable age, you'll know that from that point forward, everything changed and continues to change as a result of that. Our Western civilization changed overnight. Even here, the other side of the world, there were um, ripple effects, and you might have remembered, and might have been brought to mind actually through the pandemic, um, this sense of kind of collective anxiety that we felt about, you know, like who's next? We were reading about targets in Melbourne and Sydney, and you know, major centres um, that that might be um, might be targeted by terrorists, and so we lived with this kind of foreboding sense that this was going to happen again at some point. And then we had to deal with all of these new layers of security that were brought into effect. You might have like, experienced the frustration of suddenly like, having to go through various layers of security to get, well, to get into buildings in the city, but certainly to go on an aeroplane. Like uh, we used to just wander onto aeroplanes carrying swords and guns and spears and wild animals. And now all of a sudden, they were checking your shoes, and it was just, it was weird, it was strange. The Australian government had a, I think, an effective approach to um, dealing with this new threat, um, at least 
from a PR perspective. They've spent millions of dollars on an ad campaign, which was something like, I think it was the title of it was um, Be Alert But Not Alarmed. You guys remember this? And they would have, you know, um, public people uh, come on TV and just like try and reassure the public that we, we that I, I guess the mood was, we know that this threat is real, everything is being done to mitigate it, and here's what you can do to help. So there was this campaign, like if you see dodgy stuff going on that looks a bit terroristy, then just get in touch with the government. Um, be alert, so help us, you know, stop this, but don't be alarmed, because we've got it in hand, you know, you can trust us. And I think it was an effective campaign. That's kind of what came to mind to me, and it's sort of serendipitous that it happened today on, um, on 9-11, as it's called, um, because this letter of Jude to the church could be kind of subtitled, Be Alert But Not Alarmed. The section we're going to cover this morning is very much the Be Alert section, um, as Jude identifies threats to gospel communities from false teachers threats that remain today and have always been, as he's going to show us. Next week, we'll get to the not alarmed bit. We can trust that the Lord Jesus is our chief shepherd, that he is on the throne, and that he will fulfill his purposes in spite of terrorist threats to his church, if you can put it that way. So, let's jump in and let's read together the first three verses of the letter of Jude. This is what it says. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called, loved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace and love be multiplied to you. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. So first three verses, you get there the author, the audience, and the purpose. So let's do this just by way of context so we can get to know um, this letter a little better. So the author here, named as Jude. In fact, if we want to be correct, it's Judah. Uh, Judah is his name, both in, in the Greek that this was written in and in Hebrew, his national language. So when we translate it to English, we say Jude. I don't know why. Um, it's, maybe it's a Beatles thing. I don't know. But, but Judah. Judah is his name. And um, we don't know exactly who he is, but most scholars agree that this is Jesus' brother, Judah. Um, Jesus had four brothers, half-brothers, I guess, technically, um, and, uh, and born to Mary and Joseph, and one of them was Judah, none of them were believers in him as Messiah during his earthly ministry. They all thought he was a little bit crazy. <laughs> um, the Gospels made that clear. They all thought he was a little bit crazy, which is fair enough. If you grow up with someone, you've seen that, you know, their nappies being changed and the, you know, I don't know, whatever Jesus got up to as a kid, then if he suddenly is calling himself the Messiah, you might be a little bit sceptical. Um, and they were. They thought he was a bit, you know, out of his mind. Um, so... But later on, each one of them became followers of Jesus, including Judah, which is kind of encouraging to us, particularly if you're here this morning and you've sort of wandered from the faith. Um, maybe you're doubting 
um, the validity, veracity of Jesus as Lord, then just, you know, hang in there. Um, you might be like Judah, but like Jude, who um, went from doubting Jesus to becoming a, a great teacher and missionary of the early church and the author of this letter. I think we have a photo of him, actually. Uh, there he is. That's... <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm just conscious we got some... some some visitors here this morning. That joke only makes sense if you know that that is my son and that his name is Judah. So there's the joke, all right? It's never funny if you have to explain it, but I don't know, he probably looks something like that, maybe a little bit more Jewish. Um, so, Uh, that's Judah. He's the author and his audience here. He doesn't, he doesn't make specifically kind of clear which church he's writing to. Probably he wrote in a way that, w- that made this letter applicable to different Christian communities, most of which were under the threat of these false teachers to one degree or another. If you've read uh, the other epistles of the New Testament, you'll know this is a constant threat. Um, we do know that he is writing to Christians because he's writing to those who are called, loved, and kept. Uh, past, present, future, called before the foundation of the world, right? Loved here in the present and kept for eternity. Wonderful message of eternal security there from Jude. Um, So he's writing to Christians, and if you read through the letter, as we'll see this morning, it's really clear these are almost certainly a, a, a group of messianic Jews, so in his writing and the stuff that we totally don't get when you, when you heard James, I mean, in spite of the fact that he read with that beautiful radio voice, most of us didn't know what was going on with Moses and, and the Archangel Michael. And um, his readers did because they were Jews. They were Hebrew people very familiar with the Old Testament and other literature that, um, that was important to first century Jews. And so... It's clear that's who he's writing to. They're, they are messianic Jews. They are Christian Jews. So that's the author. That's the audience. The purpose, verse 3, he says that there's this letter that he wanted to write and the letter that he needed to write. So the letter he wanted to write was just a letter, like maybe a little bit like a Pauline kind of epistle, like talking about the gospel, the salvation that we share, a word of encouragement and edification. That's the letter he wanted to write, but what he had to write, and probably in a rush, which is why it's so short, um, the letter that he had to write was a word of warning and encouragement, a charge. So he said, I was eager to write it to you about the salvation we share, but I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. So this is the letter he had to write in a kind of emergency situation. It's post 9-11. We need to respond. Why did he need to write this? Why was this the, 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 what necessitated This letter, in this form, verse 4, read with me. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. So what? why is Jude on alert 
It's because, first of all, there are some who have come into the church by stealth. They've come in by stealth. If you want to be a teacher in a gospel-centered church, you need to come in publicly. That is, there needs to be a public affirmation of your ministry. We've judged you, as we should all, brothers and sisters. We have judged you and found you to have integrity, to be someone who is, has thrown themselves on the mercy of God in the gospel, is trusting in the Lord Jesus for their salvation, is dependent day by day on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. All of these things need to happen and there needs to be a sense, even in hierarchical churches like ours, where people are appointed from above rather than from below, there needs to be a shared sense, yes, we affirm the ministry of this person. But these people come in by stealth, like all predators do. These are stealthy predators. These are people that have come in and kind of uh, wormed their way. As Paul says to Timothy, they worm their way in, right? They come in underground. They've come in by stealth. You need to know this. It's very important for us today to know that the false teachers you need to be worried about don't come in saying, hello everyone, uh, we are the false teachers, good to be with you, we're here to lead you away from the gospel. We're on our way to hell, like you to come with us please. No one says that. The false teachers we need to be worried about are insidious, they're stealthy, they're predacious. Right? They come in without fanfare. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, I think a couple of weeks ago, we, we, he, he identified these people as wolves in sheep's clothing. Not wolves in bad sheep's costumes, we can tell a mile away. No, wolves that look like sheep. This is always the way with church predators. In in Jude's day, he's going to show us this example of these in, in, in hundreds of years before in the Old Covenant. But also today, these are, these are, this is always the way. With the, the predators that do the most damage come in without fa fanfare. They come in by stealth. They come in looking like the kind of respectable leader that you expect. They're probably wearing nice church knitwear of some kind. That was a joke. But they have the right. They have the appearance. Maybe they come with some some kind of um, you know goodwill from people from other churches, or or some kind of name in the community for doing good things. Maybe they've had a few downloads on iTunes. They've got a big following on social media. I don't know, but they, that's how they come in. They come in by stealth. This, by the way, is why we are unapologetic about getting you to move through all kinds of hoops before you can do any ministry here, really with anyone, but specifically with vulnerable people, that is children and anyone who is vulnerable, vulnerable to bad leaders. 
I encourage you. I, I, like, I want to see everyone down in that room I, for, the, for the kids' ministry meeting. I hope that we have to bring it back out here just to fit everyone in. But you need to know, in order to do any kind of ministry with children in our church, you're going to need to jump through some hoops. We have a whole child-safe process you have to go through, and it might be annoying, and I don't care. Because this is our way, one of the ways in which we weed out the predators. We unmask those stealthy false teachers. Yeah. So they come in by stealth. That is, a lot of people don't know what's going on. That's why Jude is writing this letter. He's unmasking. He's seeking to unmask the danger. How are they damaging people? Well, in verse 4, he makes it really clear. They're turning the grace of God into sensuality. They're saying, oh, because we love the gospel just like you guys, we are gospel kind of guys. We believe that Jesus died for our sins and he's forgiven us past, present, and future. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We are the, God, the, the, we are the gospel men. And you know what? When you think about it, if he's already forgiven us, then, I mean, there are all kinds of things we can get up to. Wink, wink. If we're honest, probably all of us in the darker parts of our soul have thought this from time to time, right? We know that what we're about to do is ungodly. We know what we're about to do is something that Jesus has died for, but rather than seeing the precious blood of Jesus shed for us on our behalf, leading us to repentance and and walking closely with our Savior, we instead twist the gospel and say, well, if he's going to forgive me anyway, then have at it. It's called licentiousness. We think we've been given a license to sin because of the grace of God. Ask Paul what he thinks about that. He says in the strongest possible terms that that is a false gospel. And yet this is what predators do in churches. God's going to forgive us anyway, so... We had a really high-profile example of this recently with Ravi Zacharias, someone that I really looked up to as a Christian leader, as a, a, a wonderfully intelligent and gifted apologist. Some of you... Some of you would have benefited from his ministry. His books were a part of that pile that I threw in the bin recently because he proved himself to be a wolf in sheep's clothing. It only came out very soon after his death. Well, it was in the process of coming out and then since he's passed on, a whole expose about him and the way that he operated behind the scenes The public face was so godly, so devoted to the Lord Jesus, to the truth of the gospel, and yet behind the scenes he was taking funds given to fund his ministry of evangelism and apologetics and using that money to pay massage therapists to do just whatever he asked them to. Christianity Today did a whole bunch of pieces on this and I've 
got a little quote here which, which mentions from one of the victims. She said, Zacharias made her pray with him to thank God for the opportunity. You know, that's a euphemism for anything he asked her to do. For the opportunity they both received. And as with other victims, called her his reward for living a life of service to God. She says that he warned her, a fellow believer, if she ever spoke out against him, she would be responsible for millions of souls lost when his reputation was damaged. Satanic. Demonic. Turning the grace of our God into sensuality and thereby denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. God, have mercy. Save us from ever falling prey to anyone like that. If you know these smaller epistles in the Bible, you'll know that 2 Peter and Jude are very similar. They, in fact, 2 Peter is probably written after Jude and, and he quotes from this letter in effect. And so you get a lot of these similar themes in 2 Peter chapter 2. This is what, how he describes these false teachers. He says, By uttering boastful, empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. They're like They take advantage of new believers. They take advantage of people whose consciences are, are still recovering from shame. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. This is the nature of the threat posed by these false teachers. Now, Jude's way of dealing with this, and I, I need to move us along here, okay, so we can't spend as much time as, as I would like. But here, let me just move through this relatively quickly he gives these jewish christians these messianic believers who are so familiar with the old covenant and with the 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 literature of the um of the old testament people of god he gives them some examples from the past and kind of tells them hey we've seen this before right this threat you shouldn't be overwhelmed by it because we've always had this threat he takes them to the old testament and he gives them three examples from the past that, um, that demonstrate that this kind of rebelliousness is inherent to God's people and a threat that they have dealt with in the past and ultimately a threat that God will judge. So he's kind of speaking to those teachers as well. I think he expects the, the wolves to hear this letter being read and he wants them to get the message. Judgment is coming. That's why you get this kind of strong language throughout so let's go verse five to seven he gives them three examples from the past i want to remind you although you came to know all these things once and for all that jesus saved a people out of egypt so we're going old covenant exodus and later destroyed those who did not believe and the angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day likewise Number three, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment 
of eternal fire. So he calls out the rebels of the past, God's people in the wilderness who rebelled against him. They just wanted to go back to Egypt, stuff this. Like we never wanted to be saved anyway. They died in the wilderness under the judgment of God. And then he looks back to the, the angels. I think this is Genesis 6. The angels, it's in, in a, an obscure kind of difficult passage to understand. But the angels that come down to earth and sleep with women um, and, and, and demonstrate rebellion and sexual immorality in doing so, they themselves are judged, kept in eternal chains. And again with Sodom, in this case it was men wanting to sleep with angels. In each case, the same outcome is there. And this is what he wants those false teachers to know. The thing that sort of unites each of those three examples is rebellion from God, sexual immorality, and the rejection of God's servants. Rebellion from God, sexual immorality, and the rejection of God's authority, his, his, his ministry through his servants. And he says, the same thing is going on here. It's just the same old thing. So verse 8, he says, In the same way, these people relying on their dreams defile their flesh, reject authority, and slander glorious ones. He says it's the same thing. They have the same issues as the, as the rebels of old had, and they're going to have the same outcome. God is going to judge them. Then he moves on, he gives us three more examples, again from the Old Covenant. Verse 11, he says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have plunged into Balaam's error for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. Again, Old Covenant examples where people, not just, not just the people themselves rebelled, but then they corrupted the people of God in their rebellion. And that's Jude's fear for these people he writes to. He knows the false teachers, the wolves in sheep's clothing, are going to get it in the neck from Jesus because he's the chief shepherd. But he's worried that there are genuine believers who are going to go the same way. And so he gives these examples like Cain, not only did he murder his brother, but then he founded a whole city, which is a city of violence. And so the sin was kind of made corporate. Same with Balaam, who, who corrupted Israel um, for financial gain and for sexual gratification. He's kind of a type for this false, these false teachers in the church that he writes to. And Korah, who rebelled against Moses and, and, and in so doing led a whole bunch of people in rebellion who were ultimately destroyed. These might be a little bit unconventional examples for us, but for the people he's writing to, they would make absolute sense. They get the message. I think Jude wants to point out, in spite of what these false teachers are saying about the grace of God, 
making it okay for us to do whatever we want. His point is, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There is no Old Testament angry God and then a New Testament hippie God, right? The old one, where he, he kind of killed people and was angry all the time, and the new one, he just wants to, you know, he's just a free love kind of God. He's like, no, nonsense. There is one God, and he will judge in the way that he has in the past, he will in the future, he will not abide false teachers and rebels and those who join in with these false teachers and rebels will face the same judgment in this way Judah he kind of sounds like especially if you call him Judah it sounds a bit more Hebrew he sounds like one of the Old Testament prophets as he writes this letter it's very Old Testament prophet kind of book and especially in the next part, where he gets all poetic, like the Old, the Old Testament prophets do, in, in verse 12 and 13, these people are dangerous reefs at your love feast, as they eat with you without reverence. They are shepherds who only look after themselves. Shepherds who eat sheep. They're waterless clouds. There's no substance. There's no, there's no blessing that comes from them. They're just there carried along by winds, by passions. Trees in late autumn, fruitless. Remember what Jesus said about false teachers and fruit? Fruitless, twice dead and uprooted. Wild waves of the sea foaming up their shameful deeds. Wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. Hmm. He goes on in verse 14 to 16, and I don't have time to get to it, but he's basically quoting from uh, an apocryphal book. So a book not in part of the Bible, but a book that was, um, was revered by the people of Israel. Uh, he quotes from Enoch. And, um, and uh, so this is not the Bible, but it's useful. If you have a Bible that has the apocrypha in it, you can read the apocryphal texts. Um, and get something from them, um, but they're not Scripture. Uh, Jude doesn't have any problem quoting from them, just like Paul doesn't have any problem quoting the poets to the, right, to the, to the Greeks in the Areopagus. These are, just, these are true things, even if they're not God's own words. As I say, we don't have time to go into that, but that's, you, you'll get a little sense of what the, uh, the, the, the Hebrew people of the first century were reading in the book of Enoch, which is kind of a little commentary on the Old Testament. The point is clear. God is opposed to false teachers and God will deal with them. We've always had them, we'll always have them. They tend to come in not only with doctrine that is wrong or misplaced, they come in with behavior. And actually, if you read Jesus and his brother Judah, the thing that they're most concerned about is the behavior, because the behavior unmasks the false teaching. We need to be on our guard, brothers and sisters. This is not some quaint, ancient text that has no relevance for us. Everyone in this church 
is susceptible to being led astray by wolves in sheep's clothing, by waterless clouds, by hidden reefs. Now, what's his response? And this just is just an intro into next week, okay? So, James says, uh, sorry, Jude says, in response to all of this, contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. That's what he says. Contend for the faith. In the face of all of this opposition and danger, eternal danger, judgment, in response to all of that, contend. The word, the word is the same word they would use in the first century for Greco-Roman wrestling. Have you ever seen those guys? Cr- crazy wrestlers? <laughs> um, contend. It means to wrestle, to fight. You need to, you, to, to be a, a, a wrestler, you need to be really, really compact and strong and solid. You need to be able to stand and withstand a whole lot of beating. That's what he's saying. In response to these threats, be alert, don't be alarmed, because you have a chief shepherd who's taking care of business, but in the meantime, you need to stand, you need to wrestle, you need to fight, you need to contend for the truth that was once for all delivered to the saints. This is not some new incarnation of the gospel or some contemporary reinvention of the gospel. It's the thing that was delivered once and for all. Something I really like about the fact that the English or the, the, the monarch of the United Kingdom is the the Supreme Governor of the Church of England, of the Anglican Church, one of the titles given to her at her coronation was Defender of the Faith. Defender of the Faith. Now, that's cool when it's given to a queen or someone wearing a crown, but what we need to know is that every single brother and sister in the Kingdom of God is given that title. Each one of us is given the title Defender of the Faith. And that doesn't mean that we're contentious and argumentative and standing on corners yelling at people and getting into fights and wasting our lives on social media, tapping out the latest kind of debating technique. All of that is nonsense and a waste of time. If you disagree, we can fight afterwards, all right? But the, the call to Christians is with gentleness and patience. You're going to see this next week. The call to be patient with people who are on the brink, right? With gentleness and patience, with the spirit of the Lord Jesus, we contend for the faith. We stand firm. We defend. This is all of our responsibility. If you are a member of this church, a regular attender of this church, then you've got yourself a ministry. It's to be a contender a defender of the faith. Now, final word. It is very difficult to contend for something that you're not familiar with. Right? It's very difficult to be a contender for or even a defender of a truth that you don't know. Some of us feel immediately out of our depth 
when we're faced with some kind of threat to the gospel, we feel ill-equipped to make any kind of defense. I get that. Some of that's just personality-driven. Some of it's because we just don't know the substance of that which we are called to defend. I was drawn into this just the other day, completely out of my depth. Renee was having a little, I wouldn't call it an argument, but a kind of like heated discussion with India about the leotard that she was going to wear to dancing. And I don't, I have to say, I mean, I'm a pretty sensitive New Age guy, but I still don't know exactly what a leotard is. And so when I was called in by my wife to take her side and like for the cause of India wearing that leotard, I was like, what? Just, can you do what your mum said? Like, I've, I had no, I've no way of, I didn't know what a leotard was, all right? I still am not clear. Is it the, the leggings bit? Is it the top, is it the bit that looks like bathers? It, there's no point. I would have forgotten it by the end of the day, to be honest. But I couldn't, I wasn't much use, really. I didn't get it. The same is true, like, if we, if we don't get it, then we're not going to be able to contend for it. So let me just encourage you, keep coming to church every week. It's great to see so many people here this morning um, eager to worship Jesus together. Part of our purpose in being here is to be equipped to contend for the faith. It doesn't happen all at once. It's not an uh, intensive course. It happens 30 minutes by 45 minutes every Sunday under the ministry of the word. It happens in small groups through the week as you actually get to discuss and, 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 and challenge each other and learn together. Um, come back for that series in a, in a few weeks' time, uh, looking at some issues that we need to understand from a biblical perspective. All of this builds understanding. All of it builds capacity to contend. So that charge in mind and leaving it a little bit hanging for next week for the beautiful resolution to Jude's letter. If you found him to be a little bit intense this week, then um, you'll get his uh, benediction next week, which is one of the most beautiful um, paragraphs in scripture. Very reassuring. So come back for that. Let me pray for us as we close. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your word to us. We do not take it for granted. We don't want to take it for granted. We thank you that you speak to us through the scriptures. We thank you for your servant Judah. We thank you that he was content to be a servant of the Lord Jesus, not making much of his relationship to him as a brother, but rather seeing himself as a servant. May we be the same, Lord. Not jostling for power or authority like false teachers, but happy and content to be your servants contending for the faith that was once for all delivered. Make us more like Judah. Lord, I pray that you would bless the ministry of this church, which is to equip the saints to contend for the faith. Lord, bless us in every endeavor, not just here on Sunday mornings, but in conversations through the week, small groups and, and elsewhere. Lord, help us to be people, helping people make all of life all about Jesus. And we pray in his good name. Amen. Please stand up.